0: to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz.
1: We are so honored and excited today for our episode of Happy Hour to have with us Dr. Scott Atlas. Dr. Atlas served on President Trump's Coronavirus Task Force, and he um, is one has been one of the few voices of not just science. And reason, but common sense and compassion uh, during this whole crisis. And we have a lot to talk with him about. We're very
0: grateful he's here. So Dr. Atlas, thank you for joining Liz and me today. Oh,
2: thanks for having me.
0: Thank you. Um, I just want to thank you for taking time out of your busy cover shoot, fashion magazine cover shoots that you're probably busy booking. Um, Since that's a new trend we're seeing is having, um, you know, government medical professionals grace the cover of our fashion magazine. So thank you for, for your time today.
2: Uh, yeah. I'll try to squeeze that in, in between photo shoots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: Dr. at least one thing I want to touch on first, and we have so much ground to cover is um, it was just amusing this week. It was either last week or, or this week to see the term herd immunity taken out of scare quotes Um, This is just one of the many things that you talked about that somehow became became pseudoscientific um, when you were talking about them with the Coronavirus Task Force. So I want to give you a chance to to address that first, because all of a sudden, herd immunity is back in scientific fashion.
2: Well, you know, herd immunity is one of these radioactive terms because it was taken out of context and uh, a bunch of Uh, Well, what I what I came to know is what is commonplace in Washington, but I didn't realize it when I was there because I was naive to politics. But what's commonplace is a complete vicious lies and distortions in an attempt to uh, delegitimize and undermine people. Uh, And this happened in the media you know uh, and and actually from the people inside the government bureaucrats inside who are super insecure about their own role uh, and have a lot of uh, you know personal lack of integrity but what herd immunity uh, means is is, it's a scientific term it shouldn't even be controversial it means that enough people have immunity or uh, from an infection so that their pathways uh, they are blocking pathways to the people who are vulnerable. And if enough people in a population have immunity, the spread of, a, of an infection is minimized and uh, essentially eliminated. So uh, what what the problem with the term was, was that uh, I was just talking about herd immunity, but there was never, literally never, any advisement of the president from me Uh, or anyone else in the White House or in the administration that I ever heard when I was there, no advisement whatsoever to somehow let the infection run rampant and therefore develop herd immunity. That was a lie that I ever said that to the president or advised it or even said it in any of the meetings with or without the president there in the task force or outside the task force. I never said it. And when it was written that I kept saying that, even though I denied it, my denials were ignored. Uh, So, I mean, it's a, a, you know, I don't want to keep saying it, but it's it's a sick, vicious place, Washington, D.C. Uh, The people in it are frequently lying to protect their own, uh, you know, they elevate themselves, they think, by trying to destroy other people instead of doing the obvious, which is knowing the facts and the information and winning a debate on the basis of knowledge. And of course, these people inside are revealed to be political animals. And it's sad because uh, if the truth was known by the American people about the level of knowledge of these people inside, they would be shocked.
0: Well, can so, you touch, oh, oh, go ahead, Liz, I'm sorry. Oh. I was going to ask um, if for our audience if you could tell us how did you get into the coronavirus task force? You weren't originally on there. So what what brought you on on there and how were you
2: received by your well, colleagues? I, I, I came in in August at the request of the president of the United States to help advise him. Uh, and wasn't really asked to be on the task force. I didn't know I was gonna be on the task force until I got there and was uh, requested to be on the task force because uh, of the idea that I would add information. I was asked to help as a health policy person. There were no health policy experts on the task force, zero. And so that's an obvious glaring void Um, I was not asked because in the past I had been a radiologist, by the way, I was also a Cub Scout in the past. That's not why I was asked to help the president. (laughs) Uh, I was asked because I'm a health policy scholar. That's what I do. That's what I've been doing for almost a decade full time. I have not been a radiologist uh, for almost a decade. The second reason I had input is because I was, it turned out the only person with significant experience in clinical medicine. These people did not. They were bureaucrats for 30 years. Uh, and so that's a different kind of person. That's fine. But um, I was asked to sort of add input. And so I came into the task force uh, and I was um let's put it this way, I was greeted the Washington way. That's not a positive. Uh, <laughs> but um turned out, you know, all kinds of things were made up about what I was saying. I mean, the task force uh, was comprised of a couple of people with MDs after their names, and the overall majority of other people in the room were not. And so before I got there, the people with the MDs after their names were the only people who knew anything about medical stuff, and they were not questioned. And when I got there, I happened to know about medical stuff and healthcare policy, and I was brought in Because I'm talking about the policy, not just stopping the virus at all costs. There was no one in the room who was medical, who was also considering the impact of the policy. No one. In fact, they explicitly said they weren't. So when I got there, uh, I brought in not only stacks of research papers about the data, because I was, by the way, talking every other day at least, to some of the world's best epidemiologists, medical scientists, the people who actually were doing the research. I'm not getting my information third hand. I'm not copying data off of these you know, layman level websites. I'm actually talking to people doing the research, going over the papers, and then talking to health policy people, including economists and everyone else uh, involved in that part of the world uh, of, of the sort of data so that we could devise the best policy advice to the president and by the way there was advice coming in from people outside the task force to the president from the agencies inside the administration as well as from people directly to the president and the the people in the white house who were not part of the administration that's what you'd want the american people should thank god that people were there who were not just government bureaucrats internal people removed from the challenges of high-level academics i mean just as an example when i walk into a room at hoover institution to give a talk there's a bunch of super smart knowledgeable people there if you don't know your stuff you're going to melt you're not sitting there protected from challenging views that's what the the uh idea of frankly Uh, arriving at scientific truths involves is to be able to go listen to other ideas have a free exchange of ideas and the and then eventually the truth you know uh, is discovered Uh, so you know instead of that when I was raising these issues what was the reaction the reaction was to run to the friends of uh, these people in the media and try to destroy me delegitimize me uh, and we see it you know even very recently. it's it's a, you know making up really what, what I called sick vicious lies about stuff that I said as if I ever said anything that wasn't scientifically accurate or based on the science as if I ever told the president or anyone else any information that was false. And these people are frankly they're they're bizarre to be offended that that they don't have the sole, pathway to advising the president i mean this is just like uh, I, I don't know how to explain that other than just really insecure people who uh are not very good and they're worried about their own bruised egos and they're worried about their own sort of positioning on tv uh, whereas i was there for one reason to give the best advice on the policy of the president to save people's lives i never wanted to be on the stage i you know obviously it was uh very difficult because, you know, you're you're standing next to the president who many people view as radioactive. And as soon as I was doing that, uh, you know, I was shocked at the reaction because, again, I was naive. I mean, frankly, I told one of my best friends in the White House. I remember I, I said, I don't think these people know who I am. I'm not in a political position here. I don't know what's going on. And he turned to me and said, Scott, you're the one who doesn't understand. As soon as you walk up there at that podium, you are part of the administration, therefore viewed as in a political position. Okay, this was all news to me. I, I, you know, it it, it sounds naive because it is, but um, I was there to give the data and the interpretation and about health policy, not about virology or anything else, because that's very short-sighted and limited scope. And we see now the disastrous, enormous harms of these lockdowns, destruction of families, killing people, uh, and meantime, they have a very small, if any, impact on slowing the spread of this virus. has been proven over and over again.
1: Um, you and I, I've interviewed you a few times, and I know you're a gentleman, and I know you're a very compassionate person, and you were one of the early really skeptics, critics of this entire lockdown uh, approach to to the virus. Um, If you want to, do you want to talk a little bit about who you're hearing from, the people that you hear from, um, what they have been telling you for months about the devastating consequences of these lockdowns, not just here but around the world?
2: Yeah, I mean, there's basically two groups of people who I, well, there's three groups of people who I hear from And I've heard from for months since I started writing and doing the research on on the pandemic back in February, March. One group is academics. okay, researchers from all over the world, the United States and elsewhere, who have been and had been encouraging me because they kept saying, you're exactly right. We're afraid to speak up. So please speak up. We cannot, which is a very sad statement on the united states uh and i think uh, this is again one of the one of the bigger issues even bigger than the pandemic and we can talk about that the second group of people i hear from are people who are uh individuals whether they are highly educated or not whether they're on school boards teachers parents scientists regular people in various walks of life who have been uh Encouraging me, and you know, I get that more and more now because uh, I think people are sort of worried that I have become a little bit less visible. But that's just temporary. Um, and they are very, very uh, concerned that their own stories, you know, and some of the things people don't understand. I've had many people write me, uh, encouraging me, because their own family members have killed themselves oh, during the lockdown. Terrible parents. Mm. You know, wives, husbands, super sad uh, stories, uh, and uh, you know that's just—I mean, you know, these are these are people, these are families who are being destroyed. These are, you know, we're destroying our children by having in-person schools closed. We are destroying, particularly, the poor and the working class, elitists. And I consider myself a relatively speaking affluent person. There's no doubt Uh, I'm not impacted by the lockdown. My job is, you know, I I can personally, I can do my job. My job can be done from a distance. Uh, You know, uh, it's disgusting. It's outrageous to hear these people, you know, the late night talk show hosts saying keep your distance and, you know, wear masks. We're all doing our share. And you hear them ent- interviewing entertainers who are, uh, you know, in their homes and their mansions and, the, you know, the Hamptons or, you know, whatever. I mean, it's, it's so sad.
0: Uh, Were the lockdowns and, ever discussed like in among the esteemed and prestigious degree bureaucrats on the task force or that, you know, of did, did anyone never worry Not, about no, this? Never.
2: No, really? never. In fact, uh, I remember interviews of and quotes from people uh, saying their job is to stop the virus, the impact of the policy and everything else thats somebody else's problem. And, you know, uh, they they just didn't have any clue about that. The economist types, meaning the people uh, that were on the task force that were peripheral to the medical policy, of course, they were compiling data on on what was happening with employment figures and things. But the president actually, President Trump uh, said early on, we can't have the cure be worse than the problem, which is, you know, you don't have to be uh, a super genius to figure out that. I mean, you know, if you lock everybody up forever and throw away the key and put everybody in a plastic bag, you're gonna stop the infection, but we're not gonna do that. And there's a reason why pandemic, prescriptions, if you will, policy prescriptions, how to deal with pandemics, were never saying that we should do lockdowns because they're super harmful. And, you know, we know how harmful they are, but this was never really part of the equation uh, in devising policy. Now, I just want to say something else, which is a a complete misconception of people, by the way. The policy uh, implementations in the United States were dictated by the governors Mm -hmm. not by the federal government, not by the task force. No matter what the task force would have or did recommend, the policies were implemented by the governors and the policies that were implemented throughout almost the entire country were the lockdowns, the restrictions on businesses, the lack of in-person schools, the business closures, the curfews, the prescriptions about social distancing, isolating, hand-washing, mask mandates, and mask wearing, that was done for months so if people want to complain about the results of the policies and they advocated for those policies they're complaining about their own policy advocation in other words when you hear these people go on tv and say i recommended this and oh my god no they their policies were implemented the people that criticized the lockdowns and warned about the lockdowns, like myself, and said schools should be open, that was not implemented. So that you, you know, I don't understand these people who are trying to distance themselves from that. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's a very sort of I used to say Kafka-esque sort of situation, but it's really not. It's worse. It's like Alice in Wonderland. It's like the Mad Hatter. The logic is missing. Who are they criticizing? They're criticizing themselves.
0: Well, we're not hearing what what should have been done. <clears throat> I mean, we've heard that this response was negligent. Um, I don't know. Trump killed whatever three hundred, four hundred thousand people. But I'm not. I'm not hearing what was the right things to do that no, weren't the, adopted.
2: Yeah, I mean, there wasn't. You know, the the federal government role was mainly to supply resources, and they did uh, use the Defense Production Act and you know ramp up and spend billions and billions of taxpayer dollars on uh, personal protective equipment. Uh, the Operation Warp Speed to get new drugs developed quickly was uh, successfully done. Uh, vaccine development and taking out all the risk from the private companies you know, mobilizing personnel when it was needed in emergency situations, uh, no, mobilizing hospital beds. These were the things that the federal government was doing. The task force, the medical side, okay, they were coming out with recommendations. The recommendations from the task force that were given to the states were written, and they were solely written by Deborah Burks. Oh. and they were given to the states. And so I don't know what. Her complaint would be, it sounds when you listen, you know, people, uh, she you know, she's complaining about, uh, oh, my God, uh, information was given to the president that she didn't give him. Well, <laughs> it, there is no single person who had a monopoly on advising the president. I don't understand. That is a bizarre, freakish statement. <laughs> and uh Then the implication or the actual statement, I don't know, that she said that I was giving false information to the president, no, that is a complete lie, an overt lie. She's a liar if she is saying that. If she is saying that, she is lying, period.
1: She seems to have a real grudge with you. I watched part of her interview the other day where she was And I actually think it's better the more that she talks because she exposes just really what a dunce she is um, and just how awful it is that the president took her guidance, but they became rock stars right away. So, I
2: mean, what's her what's her issue? Okay, I mean, I I don't want to say she's a dunce, so I I don't want to say that I I I, I, I would say this. Let me let me just say this. Uh. Deborah Burks worked very hard, uh, and, and uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I do not criticize her effort at all. Uh, what I, what I don't understand though is the need to disparage the other people. Uh, I mean, that is not the way you elevate yourself. You elevate yourself by knowing information and being smart and working hard. And uh, you know that not that's all D.C. you can do. Not in Washington D.C.,
0: right? I mean,
2: not in Washington. She,
0: she elevates herself by distancing herself from Trump. Well, right?
2: well what, so, what I think is that you know, first of all, you know, people are hypocrites. They gave advice and uh, you know uh, reprimands the people for seeing their family members over the holidays, and then they go and do that. So that that's embarrassing and humiliating for them. Uh, But the the big picture is that somehow it seems people were insulted that they were not on the stage with the president. I would have gladly given them the stage with the president. I didn't decide. I was not brought in, by the way. I want to clarify something else. I was never brought in to replace anyone. I was not brought in to replace uh, Dr. Fauci or replace Dr. Birx or anybody else. I mean, you know, people don't even understand, the American public doesn't even understand people's roles. Dr. Fauci was not in charge of anything in this task force or as an advisor to the president. He was one person, one valued member of the task force. Dr. Birx was the coordinator of the task force. I was an advisor to the president. That that we were not replacing... each other or there was nothing like that Uh, usually uh, you know you you just uh, you know as anyone who's ever been an advisor to the president will tell you whether it's a national security or anything else and i know many of these people who have been you are giving your opinion your best opinion to the president the president makes decisions on what he's going to think or say and that's it Uh, but but in the reality is the implementation of policy was a state-run policy the people in california were subjected to the policies of Governor Newsom. The people in Florida were subjected to the policies of Governor DeSantis. And you can go down the list. They were not subjected to the policies of Scott Atlas or anybody else. And so if you don't like what happened in the United States during the lockdowns that were implemented or the lack of lockdowns, that's, that's what was done by the governors. And so uh, but, you know, to to get to the point here, there's a lot of people that advise the president. The president also brought in outside experts. He brought in super uh, high level medical scientists from the West Coast and the East Coast sitting in the Oval Office. He asked them questions. I how do I know? Because I was there. I heard it. Uh, You know, it's. uh, unfortunate that Dr. Burks decided to not come, she was asked, she refused to come. Why would somebody refuse to come? Why? There's a lot of reasons why you might not want to come. I mean, you might not want to come because you're insecure and afraid that you don't know what you're talking about. That's possible. <laughs> uh, you might not want to come because you're, uh, you're uh, insulted that other people are asked. Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know, I learn when other people talk. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I have no problem with that. Did you sense
1: when you got there um, that the president was frustrated? Where was he? You know, the election was a few months away. This was obviously taking its toll. Um, things looked to be getting better, but then, uh, you know, certain spikes in certain areas—they were weaponizing this of course against him and using it to keep joe biden in his basement and social distancing election everything that the democrats exploited from this but when you got there where where was he in terms of what he wanted to do or anything that maybe he would have regretted that to the and if you don't want to talk about it, it's understood but
2: what was well, his I mean, thinking I, at the yeah meeting? i i would say that um the president uh, was always a saying, actually, um, that, again, this idea that, you know, we, we can't have uh, the cure be so severe that it's worse than the the disease itself. Uh, the problem was that um, you're right. I mean, these people are there. There's a political ele- there's an election going on. And that was uh, something that, you know. Uh, so, he had a lot of advisors saying to do a variety of different things. And I, you know, th- their job was political. I mean, I, I, my, my advice was the president should get up there and say the data. And you may have noticed that since I was there, he was getting up there and saying the data in his briefings. Uh, I thought that the briefings should be done because people need to hear from the president of the United States during a crisis, which this was. Uh, And, you know, uh, that that's sort of uh, what my role was simply to, uh, you know, to do do the best I could to uh, show what the what the what the information was, how to articulate the information and how to how to impact the policy to have the least harm done to the American people. And that means basically common sense, protect the people who are high risk. And uh, make sure that the policies are not harmful uh, in and of themselves, and save save as many lives as possible. So I was really focused on on that. There were other people, as you might uh, expect, focus on messaging and all this kind of stuff, but I, you know, that that wasn't my job.
0: I thought the briefings were great. I watched every single one of them, and as they went on, the legacy media's stopped carrying them, <laughs> even though they were criticizing the act- actions of the administrations and the decisions, they weren't airing a press briefing where the media could then ask any number of figures, including the president, which they mostly focused on him, actual questions, medical questions, questions about medicine, questions about um, science. And instead, it just turned into like a reality show, it made me think that the media wasn't really interested in getting out for information. Did you well, experience uh, like were people, and this is a common thing in, in the DC, in the DC universe were people leaking things that were, you know, involved in ma- managing the, the, the virus response, like to, make them look good or make their perceived competition look bad. Did you experience any of that or know know any of that?
2: Two things. One one is that the the press briefing room is a, again, like one of these really vicious, sick uh, (laughs) places the reporters are disgusting. Most of them are disgusting, ignorant (laughs) people who are (laughs) to tear down people and to say bizarre stuff. And, And, you know, the vast majority of them know nothing Uh, and they're just trying to make up stuff that to make people look bad who are with the president because it's extremely extraordinarily hostile environment so um i have zero respect for the media they're a bunch of sick liars generally and they they make up and continue to make up uh things about me complete lies and it's just uh, you know it's it's outrageous but they get away with it um the leaking, uh, well, I mean, I, I would say that, again, uh, I didn't realize what was going on, but it's, it's it turns out that uh, these people uh, in the task force, uh, some of them, uh, they have their friends in the media. I mean, there are all kinds of things uh, that, that are being said that you can see it even now. Uh, total lies, distortions. Uh, particularly uh, for some reason at me, I have no idea why since their policies were, were the ones implemented. And I think uh, I think it really is that they, they, they these people are are political creatures, the people that are in government positions for their entire career. They have Washington sort of mentality, which means that they're tied into the media. They're worried about their own image uh, in the media. This is their moment of fame, uh, you know. I, I, I don't I don't understand it, but uh, because I, I don't I'm not like that. I uh, but th- this is what they do. So yes, uh, there were. And I, I don't know if you'd say leaks, because leaks would imply that they're leaking real information. I think it was more that they were lying to the it's media spinning. and distorting what was said uh, because, you know, and, you know, it was, uh, even from the first task force meeting that I went in, I saw that I was, I was stunned. Uh, but, um, again, like it, it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a sad thing, and it's not a sad thing so much for, for me. It's a sad thing uh, because what they did with their false information and undermining was instill even more fear into the public because when the public thinks that people are either evil that are advising the president or incompetent or lying, uh, this makes the public panic, rightfully so, if they actually believe that stuff. And so uh, that was extraordinarily and is extraordinarily harmful uh, because what what really the reality is is that um, – The people here, uh, like I said, there's a damaged psyche in the American public right now. There's a tremendous amount of fear. No one's trying to say that this isn't a serious pandemic. It is. uh, That's not the issue. But the point is that, um, for instance, we see now uh, two things. Number one, the president, President Biden says, well, there's nothing we can do about the trajectory of the pandemic in the next few months. Well, I mean, that's acknowledging that the mitigation uh, and significant, severe mitigation measures don't work," he said it. Um, but besides that, you know what, what we're seeing is that over the past few weeks, hospitalizations have been coming down, deaths in the country have been coming down, the people who are sick who are presenting to the emergency room—it's down 40% since before since the peak, and it's lower than it was before Thanksgiving. These are good signs, and when I say these things, the facts, the actual data, when there are positive things to say, that generates a massive amount of hate mail to me, death threats to me. This is insanity, and it shows, again, how damaged the public is, and that damage is because there was uh, this kind of misinformation, distorted information, undermining of people inside the administration done by the public health officials, the faces of the public health uh, effort, people who, uh, the people at uh, universities trying to impugn me and rebuke me as if I'm not saying the science, that's outrageous, it's ludicrous, and it's harmful because, again, it makes the public think that there are bad people. Uh, advising the president. And, and I just think it's really sinful to do that. And they did that with the vaccine, by the way. The people who were coming in, running for office, and others who wanted to destroy Trump were casting doubt on the safety of the vaccine and saying they wouldn't take a vaccine under Trump, all this kind of stuff. And okay. Why is that harmful? Because the high risk people are listening to them and saying, whoa, 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 wait a second. We don't want the vaccine. As soon as President Biden wins, there's a mad rush to get the vaccine. And these people are lining up, taking the vaccine first. The same people who undermined the confidence in the vaccine. That is a sin. That is sinful to undermine a potentially life saving vaccine for the people who are high risk because of political reasons. I don't I can't think of anything more vile than that.
1: It is you know, I hear you saying it, it it's things that we Liz and I talk about almost every week in our podcast, but there is it this these are twisted people. They're they're not well. They're not normal. Um, you know, you watch Andrew Cuomo today, I don't know if you saw his press conference, hopefully you avoid listening to him, but you know, he's discounting people who died in nursing homes. And he, he basically said, well, 28 people die in a nursing home, 32 die in a hospital. What difference does it make like the Hillary Clinton line? I mean, they're, they're depraved people. I don't know if you could name a time in American history where we've had more evil people Mm -hmm. in places of power, both elected and not elected.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I, I have to say, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm disgusted by politicians and regardless of what side of the aisle in general, I think uh, on the other hand, and I hate to say it this way, but uh, look, you know, you get what you deserve when you vote. And um, that's the country we live in. I think there's the the country has a lot of sick people in it. They're not just politicians. And I know it because I see their emails to me. I see the writers and the media, and there's a lot of sick people in the United States, and I hate to be so negative, but uh, this country is a, a vicious, vicious, sick place, and it's worse than a lot of other places. In fact, I think it's worse than anywhere, uh, and it's it's we don't know why, maybe because we are so polarized politically, but uh, I don't know about the future of, of the country when you have – sick people sick meaning really vicious liars in politics you have sick vicious people in universities issuing rebukes and trying to intimidate and successfully by the way intimidating freedom of speech for their own political reasons uh and, and at great they, they cost. get away with it
0: there's a, Dr. Quick, Alice, there, can there's you a talk about to that so right. you, on the one hand you have people that are irrationally terrified like to the point of utter hysteria i think maybe you saw that video of somebody wiping down each slice of bread you know and before like putting it in a sealing it up in a container they were so scared of the virus and on the other you have people that now have no faith in our institutions that are run by people masquerading as professionals but really political animals so um, I know Julie was going to ask you about the letter that was written by, at, by faculty at Stanford. None of these people were scientists. Can you talk a little bit about, um, the letter or Julie, you can Hold chime on. in.
2: Um, okay. So, you know, I, I just think, uh, these people are, uh, overtly political. They're. Not criticizing, they, they don't even understand what they're talking about, first of all, uh, because i never said anything that wasn't scientifically correct, let alone based in science. Everything I said was correct and is proving to be correct as we even go. For instance, children have a remarkably low risk of a serious illness. Children are not significant spreaders to adults. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, the asymptomatic transmission is, is, is lower. That was said and known from the beginning. Uh, schools are low risk environments. You know, uh, a lot of these, uh, the, the, uh, mask mandates that have been in place and people have been wearing masks, the cases explode through them throughout the United States, throughout Europe. Uh, all kinds of everything that I said was was 100% correct and now you know it's being proven oh uh, and that you know protection from the illness is not fully shown by antibody testing and because we know this is this is high school biology this is not even super sophisticated that you know T cell immunity offers protection And, you know, this is all known. It was known when I said it. It was based because it was in the literature. And even, you know, even uh, now people are saying I'm attacking the science. That's just like uh, it's ludicrous. But the irony is I have the best infectious disease scientists at Stanford University saying what I said and consulting with me for the past nine, ten months. The best medical scientists at Stanford University, okay, in addition to the same level of people from Harvard, Oxford, all over the world, talking directly to me and advising me and agreeing 100% with every single thing I've said. So these are just false lies, but they're, they're obsessed. These people are you know, I, am not going to call them colleagues because they're, they're not, they're, they're sick people who are so biased, uh, and use me as a way to hate Trump. And, uh, again, like, you know, it's harmful to the public and, uh, you know, uh, it's certainly, I would never advise anybody to go and work for, for the government, uh, never, uh, Because if 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 unless you're working for somebody who is loved by everyone, okay? because, uh, you know, the the irony is I would have said the exact same thing. Everything I said was not only based on science, it was true, it was correct. And I would have said it if it was President Obama, President Clinton, President Bush, no matter who I would have gone to serve. President United States asks you to help in the biggest Healthcare crisis in a century, and you are a health policy expert. Your answer is yes, uh, but when I see what happened, I, you know, I have to say I'm not. I I, I would be very reluctant to uh, think that somebody should do what I did, and, and uh, because the personal sacrifice uh, is high. And you know, uh, honestly, you know, you get it's it's vicious. Uh, the people in the United States are are there's all millions and millions of sick, vicious people uh, that don't deserve good people to step forward. Frankly. Boy, that
1: is true, but it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking to hear because of your experience and what you went through and a handful of others. Um, these are exactly the people who we need right now, and but to your point, you're so many good people, to the extent that there are are going to stay out of politics, public service, anything. They're just going to completely shut down because of what the attacks on people like you and you know everyone from the president to his advisors now who can't get jobs. I mean it's it's really a terrifying climate right now
2: um. And I, I would say it's it's uniquely the United States. And I, I have, uh, I'm speaking anecdotally, but I have spoken to a lot of people from a lot of different countries. They are shocked at the behavior of Americans, shocked and appalled. And uh, as the country that was for freedom, when you see this kind of intimidation of... of uh, interpretations or ideas or or actual pure data by social media by the universities by the conventional media this country uh is an outlier in its lack of tolerance of uh, of freedom not it does not stand for freedom it's the opposite and it's it's a it's a disgrace to the people who gave their lives for uh preserving freedom in the united states
1: Oh, it really is. Liz, are you still there?
0: Yeah, no, I'm just listening. I'm thinking, um, uh, Dr. Atlas, do you plan on getting vaccinated?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I think everybody who is, this is my my opinion. First of all, I think everyone should be offered the vaccine. No one should be forced to take a vaccine. Um, and that's very important. Uh, I think that people who are, you uh, you know, over, over a certain age, I think the risk is extremely high, uh, in, in this infection. Uh, If you're elderly and have underlying significant comorbidities, you should definitely take the vaccine. That's my opinion. I would never force anybody. I don't think that's right. And, uh, so if you're, I would say over 60, you know, the risk is significant and you should take the vaccine. Uh, And that should be the priority, which the policy question is, what's going on? Why is it that only a handful of states have given most of their vaccinations to people who are over 65? Again, the logic is topsy-turvy. When you prioritize people to get offered a vaccine, it should be the people who are at high risk to die. That's the elderly generally and people with significant comorbidities. And uh, the people who have had the infection in the past six months should not be a priority to get the vaccine. They should be able to get the vaccine. I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to, but you don't just completely ignore all the fundamental biology that we know that these people have biological protection from the illness if they've had the infection. So when you're prioritizing first doses of availability, you give it to the people who are the highest risk, and that doesn't include those people. It includes the people who are, like I say, elderly, uh, you know, and I would say over 65 is a reasonable place to start. And people who have, you know, these significant comorbidities. Of course, there are people who are younger who have these, and then you prioritize, and you also prioritize people who are working in those environments. So, for instance, nursing home staff you know that that's an important group to uh, protect from uh, infection infection because they are working in these tinderboxes of risk so you need to uh, uh, you know hopefully these people will get vaccinated and tested
0: so not teachers like who well, would no teach on to- zoom and stuff but not go
2: into their classroom right well i mean it's bizarre <laughs> to think that teachers should be the priority Unless they're high risk teachers. High risk teachers should be a priority, just like high risk everybody else. Yeah. People that are teachers teaching is a young profession. Okay, 50 percent of America's teachers are under 41. Mm -hmm. 82 percent are under 55. That's a young profession. Those are not high risk people. Secondly, if you wanted to find a a a workplace that was low risk you'd sign up to be a teacher, okay, because uh, that's not, the the data is shown over and over again that children do not significantly transmit as much as adults do to to, uh, adults. Teachers do not get high rates of infection compared to non-teachers. Most schools are not the sources of infection. You look all over the world, this has been known for months and it's repeatedly shown. So uh, it's a low risk environment. In fact, the only difference between a school and the community is the schools are lower risk environments. So I mean, you know, that's not a priority to vaccinate teachers and to vaccinate students and young children. uh, That just doesn't make sense. Uh, and, uh, I think we are on a very dangerous pathway to start requiring vaccinations and testing, uh, including of testing of, of school children and college students. And in fact, we know many, many colleges require testing of students. These are young people. I I think it's interesting to point out the CDC website itself in big letters says it, you you should not require anyone to get a test for this virus. It says that on the CDC testing strategy for schools. It says that yet we know many schools, if not all, I'm talking about colleges are requiring testing. And uh, these are these are big issues of civil liberties, but civil liberties somehow has been lost in, in the United States. And it's uh, we're on a pathway to, to really never uh, stop with this testing, never stop with masks, never stop requiring vaccinations to do things like travel. Uh, this is the pathway we're on.
0: Well, speaking of testing, what do you think about the World Health Organization's decision to lower the threshold on the PCR testing?
2: Um, yeah, I mean, for for people who don't understand this, basically, PCR is a very, very sensitive way to detect things. It's never was never was meant to detect uh, or to uh, detect a virus and to determine if somebody is is a patient, a patient uh, is determined by being symptomatic. But um, if you're going to test with PCR, we all know by now, probably that PCR tests are so sensitive, you can detect fragments of dead virus. It has nothing to do with being contagious. Yet the whole point of testing is to see if it's if the person is contagious, you would think. And so when you ramp up cycles, meaning repeat the uh, testing with PCR over and over and over again, eventually you'll pick up dead fragments of virus or irrelevant virus levels. So uh, I actually, it's sort of interesting, brought in, the first time it was ever discussed in the task force was because I brought it up, brought in the articles, distributed them, they were ignored uh, about the PCR cycle thresholds, completely ignored. Uh, months ago but um, the fact is that when you ramp up the cycling of the testing so high that you are detecting irrelevant virus it's a worthless test and it overestimates and overstates the people who are quote infected because the only purpose is to detect people are contagious that's the point So it's good that the WHO has said that. And by the way, the WHO has said a lot of good things. In fact, they agree with me, even though they'll deny it, on the (laughs) mask policy, because I said the president's policy, and I said masks should be worn when you cannot socially distance. That's what the website says uh, at the WHO. That's what the website says for the NIH. That's what the websites uh, often say, in fact, all over the world. Uh, it it, and uh somehow that's been distorted into i was anti-science and uh you know uh, anti-mask so uh i mean all kinds of you know lies and misinformation were said and continue to be said and that's not going to end
1: before we let you go and thank you for spending so much time with us and i do want to say too what's happening on college campuses is a crime um my daughter goes to school in upstate New York and we get terrifying emails every day. Anyway, they are planning to triple their testing from the fall semester and basically told my daughter, if you don't do this testing, if you miss three tests, they have to test every week. We will cut you off from campus Wi-Fi and all these other you know, threats that they're
2: making. Well, well was- I've spoken to college of- provosts and presidents there, there are many colleges that that will uh, not allow you to be on campus and not allow you to even enroll if you right. do not if you do not say yes to the testing and uh, you know that that's again this is a civil liberties issue and uh, I, I just think we, we have a lot of problems in the United States and they're not they're not going away they're getting worse the problems and there are many problems that the pandemic has exposed including we never understood the power of the government, never knew that these kind of uh, rather arbitrary decisions could be made about closing your business, closing your school, putting curfews in. Uh, the second part is we never knew how people would acquiesce to that. And so that was uh, yeah, this is a very, very uh, frightening time in the United States.
1: I agree. I think Liz and I, we've talked to everybody, we have just how people not just submitted to all of this initially, but they continue to. um, And now you're going to have lunatics running around with two or three masks on. Oh, it's
0: so so ridiculous.
2: Yeah. I I mean, I, I would say that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have anybody wear, you know, masks all the time, whenever they want as many masks as they want, whatever they have to do to function in society they should do, Uh, they can do, that's fine. If they never want to go into a public place again, that's fine. If they never want to walk into a restaurant again, that's fine. Mm -hmm. That does not mean that the restaurant should be closed. People in the United States, people in in a free society, the the point of government and, and, and other officials, I would say, is generally you would think to educate the public, give recommendations, and then let the individuals decide what the risk is uh, that they are willing to tolerate. We know we could stop all motor vehicle deaths by making the speed limit five miles per hour. We could do that. We don't do that, though. Why not? Because there's trade-offs to be made. And people, you know, uh, make those trade-offs typically in a free society individually. So if you want to, you know, I'm I, I not... You know, whatever the you feel about masks is is fine. You could you could wear masks. You you could you know you you know you could wear two masks, three masks. Uh, you could wear a mask after you get vaccinated. But again, that that's uh you, you know you you don't have to go into a public event ever again if you don't want to. No one people like me are not saying you must go into restaurants. You must go and attend the sporting event. No one's saying that. You decide what you need to do to function in the life you want. You know that you know you, you can you can avoid you can have a sterile room. You can wear an oxygen tank and a complete a plastic bag. Uh, you can wear a <laughs> scuba uh, you know, suit. You can you could put on a whole body condom. That's okay. You can do that if you want, but that doesn't mean everyone else has to.
1: That's right. Um, well, Dr. Atlas, we can't thank you enough. This has been so illuminating and sort of depressing, but it's true. It's all truth.
2: Yeah, I don't mean to be depressing. <laughs> I, uh, in fact, I, when I look at the vaccine development and the drugs that were developed uh, and the cases are coming down, hospitalizations are coming down, deaths are coming down, we, are, we have reasons to be very optimistic mm-hmm. about this. Uh, if we have sane people in charge of the policy and if we are free to choose how we want to live our lives.
1: Well, that's well said. Thank you so
0: much. No, thank you so much for joining us. Um, There's still so much confusion and disinformation out there on something that is an important health crisis to pay attention to. And it's just been so politicized. Um, It's very refreshing for us to sit down and talk to you and just get some straight talk so thank you so much
2: thanks for having me appreciate
0: it thanks dr atlas so that was fascinating Um, how about that refreshing yeah it was refreshing to isn't he great yeah he is and i you know it's it's always interesting to see like a muggle, right? Like someone who's like a normal person come move into the political sphere. Um, you know, he he's obviously he's a, a, a brilliant man. He's a doctor. He's a health policy analyst. And and, and to come in and think he's going to be actually doing something, you know, related to his his specialty to solve a problem and then find out it's just Game of Thrones Going on. Right. Hunger Games. Right. Yeah. It's just it's just, you know, it's it's sad because, as I mentioned in our interview, you know, you have half the country terrified doing stupid things because they're they're terrified and they've been frightened to death. And then you have the other half who just don't believe these Expert, Right. I mean, I don't believe any of these people know what the hell they're talking about after after the last year. Um, and, and now there's consequences. People are less inclined to listen to what the government tells them. And, you know, on the one hand, that's kind of good. And on the other, it's scary because this is actually an area where people don't have the expertise. You know, they're not scientists. They feel like, well, we need to listen to the experts because they know. And now you find out, well, they're just a bunch of political opportunists, really. And you can tell what was really going on by who got the hero's edit, right? In this mm-hmm. whole affair, which is the first and foremost, is Anthony Fauci, who apparently is like Teflon, because this guy was front and center during the effort, Trump's efforts. He was at most of press conference. He did do media. Um, he was a darling, and now even though Trump was demonized, and now Trump's gone, and he's still there. He's not responsible, right? It was this tragic, horrible mess by Trump, and yet Fauci, clean hands. It's amazing.
1: Right. Well, his first press conference when he went back last week, and, you know, he's just glowing. I, We joked that Anthony Fauci is the only person who looked better at the end of 2020 than he did when he started because right. – if you look at his initial interviews, he just looked like the pasty little, you know, drollish bureaucrat that he was. And then all of a sudden, you know, he's tan. He's
0: got expensive. He's a stylist suits now, on. Julie. I'm sure. You know who are you wearing? Right at a press conference, if he gives like a virus press conference, I'll ask like, who are you wearing? It's so and, gross. Uh,
1: it's so gross. And his first press conference out of the box last week. He made some kind of joke that he thought was directed at Trump, but it actually backfired on him because he was like, oh, well, the new thing with this administration is if we don't know the answer, we're not going to guess. And I thought, OK, well, you controlled basically everything over there for the most part for a year. Are you you're saying you guessed the whole time? Why? Because
0: of Trump? No. Well, did he have like a secret plan to success that he just held back? You know, like. If only he had been given the power, um, you know, we wouldn't be where we are today. It's ridiculous. I mean, th- that's is. why we're seeing this great rehabilitation tour. You know, Burks is out there. Fauci's out there you know, trying to rehabilitate themselves. And Fauci doesn't really have to. Burks kind of took it bad because the dirty populace didn't like that she went to have Thanksgiving with her family while telling everybody else to suck it. Um, right. So she she had to resign. But they're out there trying to rehabilitate themselves. And it's like, dude, if you if it was so bad and it was so horrible, well, you were where well, well, Donald Trump was making up, you know, science all on his own. Why didn't you leave and then come and tell everybody what was really going on and give them your plan to fix everything? Ah, it's just crazy.
1: Well, that was enlightening stuff from Dr. Atlas. And I do, you know, you feel He's tough. He's a tough guy, but you feel bad for what he's been through, what he's going through. And, you know, people who want to serve for the good of their country, you know, for their president, like he said, and then to be just completely demonized and vilified even by your own colleagues. Um, It's it's he's right. It's it's a sick time in this country right now. It good really
0: people, is. Good people will not. Answer the call to public service. No. After watching this shit show that yeah. we just had over the year. So, anyway, thank you for listening and joining us on Happy Hour. <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe. It was kind of happy, it was happier no, it was than we normal. Had a few laughs. <laughs> Don't forget to join us next week and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Have a great week and we will see you soon. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.